Our Lord, we give you thanks in your grace that you have allowed us to come with great freedom and joy to worship you, to sit before you, to sit with your ransomed people. We pray that you would open our eyes to the wonders of your word and open our ears to the precious good news of Jesus Christ. Help us to see and feel and encounter God in this time and grant us by your grace a vision for what we are spending our lives for this, this day. Please take us off the sidelines where we sit and put us in the game so that we might spend our 40 or 50 years here well and that we might live this life in a way that counts. Do not let any of us waste our lives, but live for the name of Jesus Christ and live for the one who died for us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, we're doing something a little bit different today in that we just wrapped up a series through the book of 1 Timothy about a week ago. Next week, we're getting ready to start sort of a short mini-series in the Psalms, and we're going to spend our summer in the Psalms, and I think that's going to be a great blessing to us as we consider the prayer book of the Scriptures and allow that prayer book to shape and mature our own prayers and our own responses to God in all of life and life circumstances. So that's what we're starting next week. So that gives us this week where we're sort of in between two different series and gives us a unique opportunity to do something a bit different today. Today is something that we're calling Church Planting Sunday. Okay, what's Church Planting Sunday? Well, as the name suggests, we want to talk about church planting today. If you're unfamiliar with that term, that's just a way of saying starting new churches or the planting of new congregations. The thought that God has called his people to go from city to city all across the country and all across the world and start new congregations, new gatherings of disciples of Jesus Christ who believe the gospel, live in community, and are sent on mission. And we want to see local congregations planted all over the place. And so on this day, what we want to do is we want to do two things. One, we want to celebrate how God has connected our small baby church to the enormous world of church planting. So we want to celebrate. To do that, in a few minutes actually, we're going to show you some video updates of some of the churches and church planters that we have been connected with. Some of the brothers that we have either been supported by or have helped to support so that you can hear for yourself how God is using our small church in the world of church planting. And so we want to celebrate that. The other thing we want to do today is we also want to remind ourselves of why we're committed to church planting in the first place. Why, if you're a part of Seven Mile Road, are we absolutely sold out to and absolutely committed to and connected to planting churches? Why is that woven into the very DNA of our church? Why is that at the very heart of what we want God to do in us and through us? Why is the planting of churches what we are about? So I, I want us to remember that reason first, be compelled by that vision, and then celebrate how God is letting us begin to do that even now. To give you the reason for why we're committed to church planting this morning, I want to take you back to the text that Brett just read for us. Revelation chapter 5. So if you've got a Bible in front of you, page 1030, Revelation chapter 5. I want to make just one brief observation from this passage, though there's much more you could say. And I want through that to give you the reason for why we are so committed to the planting of churches. When you get to Revelation 5, just as a bit of background so that you are able to digest this passage. 
What's happening here is at the way end of your Bible, last book of the Bible, one of Jesus' best friends while he was on the earth, a man named John, one of his disciples, his apostles, his followers, now is an old man, having spent his whole life following Jesus, serving Jesus, is given towards the years of his death a vision. It's as if God sort of peels back the curtain of heaven for a second and lets John just stare in for a second and gives him a glimpse of the kingdom to come. Gives, gives him a glimpse of future glory, of the day that we are awaiting. And in Revelation chapter 4, John says, I look and I see this great white throne in the center of heaven. And then in chapter 5, he says, and I see this enormous assembly gathered before that throne. So what I want you to do is, I want you to just notice the assembly. Observe the assembly, the great multitude gathered before this throne. Let me read you from verses 9 and following. Revelation chapter 5, 9 and following. This is what it says. And they sang a new song saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. And this is about Jesus. For you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom of priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Then I looked and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders the voice of many angels numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying, to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped. Even if you're not Pentecostal, you got to hear that and go, Amen to that, right? Amen. You can't help but hear that and shout, that is the day to come, right? John is giving you a vision that there's a day coming where we will see Jesus. He will be on his throne and all the assembly will wonder who is the one who is worthy and everyone will look to Jesus, the lamb who was slain. And you'll find yourself standing in the company of myriads of myriads, of thousands of thousands of angels, of brothers and sisters, men and women from every tribe and every tongue and every language and every nation, all who have been redeemed by the blood of God as Jesus purchases a people for God. He pays their debts and sets them free so that they could stand in this assembly. You've got to let that vision sort of bubble up in your heart. If you could, you've got to close your mind's eye and picture yourself standing there. You've got to see that, that that day is coming. You who are in Jesus Christ, I want you to hear this. This is your future. This is what's coming. This is what we're headed to. Now hear me, I know that that day can seem so far out, so future, so in the distance, so on the horizon that it can almost feel unreal, right? Like it's so far away, is it ever going to come? It's going to come. If you've ever waited for anything, you know what it's like to build anticipation and for the day to finally arrive, Right? A few weeks ago, Shino and I got to go to Newport Beach for the Acts 29 pastor's retreat. Each year they have a lead pastor's retreat, and they happen to always pick the most glorious places on earth. 
So we had put this date on our calendar one year prior, and we were waiting, because we we're going to get to go to Newport Beach. They put us up in a hotel. They fed us. All we had to do was get there, and so that day was coming. And days passed, and weeks passed, and months passed. I mean, we were waiting for a year. And, and I can tell you, that far out, it just feels like it's never going to arrive, until... Until we were driving to New York and we dropped off the kids. We were going to go without our kids. We were going to be in Newport Beach without our kids. And so we dropped off the kids and we're driving to the airport and we board a plane and we touched down. And then sitting in Newport Beach, or, or better, we rented a convertible, driving down to San Diego, you almost had to pinch yourself and go, it came. We're actually here. We've arrived. This thing really happened. Have you ever waited for anything like that? Waited for a trip, or, or Kurt and Peggy Sue have marked August 17th for months. Can you imagine what it was like six months ago, seven months ago, with that date on the calendar? When's it going to come? Is it ever going to arrive? Is it ever going to arrive? We're, what, three weeks away? And now can you imagine, Lord willing, that in three weeks they'll arrive on that day and they'll go, it actually came. We're here. And I'm telling you, John is telling you, Revelation 5 is telling you, the day is coming. The day is coming when you're actually going to find yourself in an assembly. And your eyes, these weak eyes, are going to see myriads and myriads of angels. Thousands of thousands. And you're going to be gathered with an assembly of people from every tribe and every tongue and every language and every nation. People of all sorts who have been ransomed by the blood of the Lamb for God. And your weak voice, though it's weak now, will be gloriously strong then. Without sin, without distraction, it will be perfect and pure. And for the first time in your life, you will offer to God perfect praise. As your voice also sings with the assembly, worthy is the Lamb to receive blessing and honor and glory and might and power and wisdom forever and ever. That day is surely coming. You will be there. So on this day, what I want to ask you is, how does that assembly get there? How does that assembly, that multitude of people from every language, nation, tribe, and tongue, how do they get there? How do we get to Revelation 5? And in some ways, hear me, that's what the story of this whole book is, right? Revelation 5 is way at the end, at the tail end of the book. This whole section here, all of this is the story of how God is going to get us to Revelation 5. That's what this whole thing is. This whole thing is the story of how God from the beginning has Revelation 5 in mind and is pushing us towards that day. And this whole story is the account of how God is going to get us there. So that when you open the story way back in Genesis, you find this has been his agenda from then. In Genesis, you find that God called one man named Abraham and set him apart and said, Abraham, I'm going to pour into your life blessing. I'm going to make your name great. I'm going to bless you. Why? So that through you, all the families of the earth might be blessed, the scripture says. Right? Abraham, I'm setting you apart. I'm calling you so that as I choose you, I might send out my invitation to the ends of the earth through you. That's why I'm calling you, Abraham. I'm not giving you all these blessings so that you can have a happy life for yourself. I'm giving you these blessings so that my 
invitation might be sent out to the ends of the earth that all the families, all peoples, tribes, tongues, and nations can be brought in. As you keep reading the story, you find that Abraham has lots of descendants. And these people are called the people of Israel. And God says to Israel, you're my special people. You're my chosen people. I've set you apart. You're like no other nation on the planet. Why? I've done that, he says, so that through you, you might be a light to the nations. That was the point of Israel. The point of this special chosen people was that through them, they were supposed to live with such fidelity and faithfulness to God. They were supposed to show off the glory of God in such a way that all the nations were drawn to their light. Like flies drawn to a light, all the nations were to be drawn to the light which is Israel. Now if you read the Bible, you find that they are a flickering light at best. Often dim, often dark, often making a disgrace of the glory of God. And yet, God's still pushing, still pushing to get all peoples from all languages and tribes and tongues to Revelation 5. So to do that, he comes down himself. The mission climaxes and crescendos when God says, I will come myself and get this done. What I started in Abraham, what I went on in Israel, I myself will get this done. And so God sends his own son, Jesus Christ, to the earth to do what? To ransom for God a people from the ends of the earth. And perhaps the most famous verse in the Bible, John 3.16, For God so loved what? The world. What is that? All peoples, all tribes, all tongues, all nations. Revelation 5. God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son so that whoever believes in him would not perish but have what? Eternal life, everlasting life. Revelation 5, God sent his son for the sake of Revelation 5 so that all people might be drawn to Jesus. So that Jesus, in living the perfect life and dying in our place for our sins, would redeem, would ransom, Revelation 5 says. That is, pay the debts for a debted people. Clear their debts, make them at zero for God, give them all the riches of his righteousness and win them for God. Jesus dies, he is buried, he resurrects, he returns to heaven, and he promises to return. And as he's about to do so, what does he do? He turns to his disciples, and he hands them the mission. The mission that God had given Abraham, the mission that God had given Israel, the mission climaxed and culminated and accomplished in Jesus, is now what? Given to his disciples, to you, to me. To his followers. In a way, it's as if Jesus has handed the baton to his followers and said, okay, now you run your length of the race. You hear that? The baton went to Abraham, and the baton went to Israel, and the baton was completely given to Jesus Christ. And Jesus, in his love for us, gives us the baton and says, now you run the length of the race so that you might work towards Revelation 5. Now, here's my question. When the disciples received this baton, how did they go about fulfilling this mission? What did they do to see Revelation 5 happen? What did they do to play their part, to run their length of the race? And here's what I want you to hear on this special Sunday. They planted churches. That's what they did. They received this baton from Jesus. Matthew 28, verses 16 and following. 
All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. There it is, Revelation 5. All tribes, tongues, people, languages. Make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all that I've commanded you. And lo and behold, I am with you always till the end of the age. The disciples got that mission, that baton from Jesus. And do you know what they did with their length of the race? They planted churches. In fact, if you read the New Testament, the second half of your Bible, it's all the story of how churches were being planted. How disciples received this mission, went from city to city, making disciples, gathering those disciples in local families or people ransomed for God called churches. And then once a church was set up, they would go to another city and make disciples by planting churches. And then they would go to another city and make disciples by planting churches. And then when they went to another city, the churches they planted started sending out people to plant churches and make disciples. And then the churches they planted started sending out disciples to plant churches to make disciples. And so the apostles are making disciples and the churches they plant are making disciples. And churches are planting churches that plant churches that plant churches that plant churches. And that, my friends, hear me, is how Christianity spread. Not fairy tale, not ideal. History of Christianity is that it spreads by churches that faithfully planted churches, that faithfully planted churches, that faithfully planted churches. So much so that by the fourth century, this ragtag little Jesus movement, a bunch of 120 weak Jewish people, had won the Roman Empire. Don't miss that. Hear that again. So much so that 120 people from the desert lands of Israel had won the Roman Empire. So the historians tell us that by the 4th century, 51% of the Roman Empire confessed that Jesus Christ is Lord. Unless you think that Rome was somehow particularly fertile ground for the gospel. I mean... This is the empire that fed Christians to lions, remember? The one that made a gladiator sport out of the death of Christians. The one that lit up Christians to light up gardens. The, the highly pluralistic, every God is good, don't you come in here and say that Jesus Christ is Lord. The empire where getting baptized, baptized wasn't just something I sort of could choose to do. It was actually identifying with Jesus at the cost of my own life. Not a convenient decision I might or might not do, but I'm identifying with this Nazarene so much so that even if the Roman Empire gets me, I'm with him in his death, in his burial, in his resurrection. That's the ground in which the gospel spread and conquered an empire. And it was through churches that planted churches that planted churches that planted churches. Listen, you and I are here because of that. And you and I will get there to Revelation 5 because of that. Revelation 5 happens because of churches that plant churches that plant churches. Disciples making disciples through the planting of churches. So think about this. Seven Mile Road Church exists. If you've come here and you have been even marginally helped in your own spiritual life, and I trust by God's grace many of you have, some of you have come to faith in Jesus Christ. Think of that for a second. 
Some of your eternal souls are secure in Christ because of the ministry of God here. Some of your lives have been changed. Some of your families have been changed. Some of your lives were in a trajectory that's completely changed through the ministry that God's doing here. If you have been helped by the ministry of this church, it's because the church was planted. But hear that. This church was planted because there were faithful Christians in Boston that planted this church. Faithful Christians who, like Abraham, realized God didn't bless us for our little holy huddle. God blessed us so that all the families of the earth might be blessed. And so they sent people to a city they didn't even know. They don't know anyone in Philadelphia. That faithful church in Boston sent prayers, sent people, sent their resources, sent cash to a bunch of people they've never even met. Because the gospel goes forth as churches plant churches. But hear me on this. That faithful church in Boston, Seven Mile Road Boston, was there because another faithful church called Forestdale Community Church, 10 years prior, had planted them. Forestdale Church is the most you know, fuddy-duddy, small little church. If you go onto their website now, it still looks like it's from the 1970s. And yet this small congregation of about 100 folks or so, elderly, not hip, not cool, had planted Seven Mile Road Boston, which had then planted us. And Forestdale was planted by a church. And the church that planted Forestdale was planted by a church so that they could plant Forestdale. And that Forestdale could plant Seven Mile Road Boston and said, my road could plant us so that we could, guess what? Plant churches that plant churches that plant churches. That's the point. That's the story. The building you're sitting in here now exists because some godly saints from Germany planted churches that planted churches that planted churches. This is how we got here. And this is how we're going to get there to Revelation 5. This is why we are so committed to church planting. Church planting is the means by which God makes disciples that makes disciples that makes disciples so that we might arrive at the day when all people from all languages and tribes and tongues and people worship around the throne and sing of the worth of the Lamb. That's why we're committed to church planting. That's why we're connected to a network called Acts 29, a network of gospel-centered, reformed, missional churches that are planting churches. That's why it's such a blessing for me and for us to be a part of that kind of network. That's why we are partnering with and giving towards and supporting the work of church planting across the region and across the country. Because we want to play our part. We've been given a baton. We want to play our part in seeing churches planted. And so, hear me, even as a baby church, we have given tens of thousands of thousands of dollars away for the planting of churches, something we are absolutely and must remain absolutely committed to. Whatever the inconvenience and discomfort to us. Right? Hear me, this, this morning, we're sitting here instead of there. You know why? So we don't have air conditioning there. You know why? Because whatever money we would have had for air conditioning, we've given away to churches. 
We could have had central AC already for sure. But I don't know about you. I don't want to get to the last day and say to Jesus, we didn't give it away because it was really hot. <laughs> and Jesus is going to be like, fool, you know where else is really hot? <laughs> we want to plant churches. And we want to do that by giving, by partnering, by praying, by supporting. We want to do that, hear me please, by planting churches ourselves. So if you have not already, please begin praying that God would plant churches directly through Seven Mile Road. So that when the day arrives where we're too big to fit here or fit there, I, I don't know what the Lord will have us do on that day, but I can assure you this. The first part of the conversation we need to have is not, should we start a campaign to build a bigger building? The first question we need to ask is, should we plant a church? I want you to be praying now, God, would you please raise up somebody to plant a church from Seven Mile Road? So that when that day arrives, I hope to send a whole bunch of you as a team to plant that church. Hear me, I, I know what we want. We want to stay in this huddle together. We want to raise our kids together and grow old together and die together. There's a day coming when we'll all be together and never part. That's not this day. So till that day comes, we're going to send and we're going to go and we're going to give. And with tears in our eyes, we will send people that we love. And not our leftovers, our best folks for the sake of planting churches that plant churches, that plant churches. Listen, God can do much more than I can say, but what I need God to do in your heart this morning is call your heart to this so that you're committed. If you're a part of Seven Mile Road, this is what we're committed to. And we're asking you, don't stand on the sidelines on this. There's something big enough here to give your life to. Right? If you're in a bored Christianity, it's because you're not on mission. Jesus has this amazing mission to thrill your heart, this adventure for you to give your life to. Don't let 60 years go by and turn around and go, I played it real safe and real boring. You have Revelation 5 coming. So why not risk great things in this life? Because you have eternal joy coming. It's guaranteed for you. So take great risks in this life. Here's what we want to do now. As we've called our hearts to why we're committed to this, what we want to do now is simply give you a glimpse of how God has let us in these four years partner in the work of church planting. To do that, we're going to just show you a short video with some updates from some of the churches and brothers who are planting churches that we're connected with. These are folks that have supported us or that we are supporting so that you might hear of what God is beginning to do with us. And know this, we've just begun. This is just the tip of the iceberg. We want to commit more and more and more to this work. This, this is not done. We haven't arrived. We're just getting started. As you hear them, be thinking Revelation 5. Be thinking Revelation 5. Be thinking those are cities with people I don't even know. But when Revelation 5 comes, I'm going to meet them. And it's going to be a joy to see that what we did in this lifetime led to what happens there. We'll show that and then we'll wrap up after. All right, so let's respond, right? Let's give to this. Let's go on mission to this. And on this Sunday, let's pray to this end as well.
What we want to do as we close is just open this time for prayer so that we can do what we can do on this Sunday, which is seek the hand of God to bless these brothers and their churches. And so I'm going to open the floor to you. I've asked a number of you to pray for these churches. Any of you who feel led can pray. Pray a short prayer. Pray a loud prayer so we can hear it, so that we can pray together that we might, in our day, in our time, in our place, live to see Revelation 5 happen. Okay? Let's spend a few moments in prayer.